Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 7 of The Beauty of Holy Choices, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In 2015, I wrote a book titled The Beauty of Holy Choices, which examines people from the Bible who pleased God by making a hard choice in a difficult circumstance. Each of the 12 chapters is a standalone story, and they're all woven together by their emphasis on holiness, arranged in the order in which they appear in Scripture. Each unit ends with clear application to today's Christian walk and a challenge to you, the listener. This seventh installment is entitled, David Pours Out the Gift of Water. All scripture is taken from the New International Version or the KJV, King James Version. After 400 years of being ruled by judges, Israel insisted on a king, and God reluctantly granted them one in the form of Saul, a tall, shy man from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul started out well, and God allowed him to reign for 40 fairly stable years, but he disobeyed on several key occasions. God sent the prophet Samuel to announce to Saul that the possibility of a dynasty was being taken away from his family. Saul's son Jonathan would never be king. Saul appears to have descended into mental illness after that, and he finally committed suicide in battle after an enemy wounded him. God's choice for the second king of Israel was Ruth's great-grandson David, who was born in Ruth's adopted town of Bethlehem. David was the eighth of eight boys, and he began his adult life as a shepherd. After his unlikely victory as a teenager over the giant Philistine Goliath, his musicianship won him a job playing harp and singing for King Saul, who was becoming temperamental and mentally unstable. Eventually, Saul's envy of David made it necessary for David to run for his life, After years of living on the lamb, David came out of hiding when Saul died in battle. David was then made king over his own tribe of Judah, while a son of Saul reigned over the rest of Israel for a couple of years. Finally, Saul's son was killed by two of his own captains, and David ruled over all Israel. 2 Samuel 5, 17 begins a story that took place about 1017 BC. By that time, David had been king for about seven years, and he had just moved the capital from the city of Hebron to Jerusalem. His perennial enemies, the Philistines, were after him again, and he'd fled from Jerusalem, asked the Lord for direction, and later attacked the Philistines on their own turf, achieving a victory. Unfortunately, the Philistines didn't stay down too long. Finnis Dake speculated in his Bible commentary that it was probably about the time of the barley harvest in April because kings often went to war in spring after the early rain. In 2 Samuel 5, 22-25, it says, And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Don't go up. But circle around behind them, attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, 
because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Winning a battle isn't always an instantaneous thing, and sometimes the enemy gains ground before he's conquered. King David found himself camping in a cave in none too pleasant conditions. 2 Samuel 23, 13-15 says, During harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Have you ever ardently longed for something comforting that was just out of reach? A piece of chocolate, a comfortable bed, a chance to talk to someone you love who is far away, or even just a warm bubble bath can create indescribable desire when it simply cannot be had. David was used to the wonderful water from Jerusalem, and he probably fondly remembered the wonderful water from his hometown of Bethlehem. Perhaps the water in the cave where he was staying tasted odd because it was full of minerals or something. Perhaps the cave was dry, so his men had to collect water from a muddy stream or pond. In any case, all David wanted was a drink to quench his thirst, and what was available just wasn't cutting it. 2 Samuel 23, 16 and 17 says, So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Isn't it the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David wouldn't drink it. Can you believe what you're hearing? He wouldn't drink it. He poured it out. Can you hear it splashing on the hard floor of the cave? His willingness to make this holy sacrifice to God and control an urge to consume it in a frenzy is surely one of the most awe-inspiring passages in Scripture. What could such a story possibly mean to people who live thousands of years later and have plenty of good-tasting water to drink? David demonstrated three key characteristics of holiness that are timeless examples to people everywhere who would like to draw nearer to God. The first is discern the sacred. 2 Samuel 23, 17, repeated, says, Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. This act of devotion by three of David's proven and mightiest men delighted the heart of David, and he saw in it a sacrifice of which the Lord alone is worthy. Perhaps when David recognized the great risk his men took in providing him with his favorite water to drink, he thought of something in the Torah. Leviticus 17, 10-12 says, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. 
Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. David saw the water as the very blood of the men who'd gone to get it. Hence, he refused to drink their blood and poured it out before the Lord. Something sacred is special, set apart, devoted, or designated to God. What in your life needs to be set apart as sacred? How about life itself? Sex, the Lord's day, your tithe, time alone with God, His precious word, or the ministry He has called you to. Let me explain. If you recognize that sex is sacred, you won't be so inclined to laugh at a dirty joke or look at porn or sleep around. If you recognize that life is sacred, you won't be so inclined to believe that sick people should be legally allowed to commit suicide or that unborn babies are disposable or that it's okay to take foolish chances that put you at increased risk of dying. If you recognize that the Lord's Day is sacred, then when Sunday comes around, you won't be so quick to lay out a church or go about business as usual or catch up on chores or get in non-essential extra hours of overtime at work. If your tithe is sacred, you'll pay it first, rather than waiting until everything else is taken care of to see if any money is left over. Number one, then, is discern the sacred. Number two is make the sacrifice. 2 Samuel 23, 16 says, But David poured it out unto the Lord. David would have dearly loved to drink the water that his men brought to him. He'd been dreaming of it and longing for it, even talking about it out loud. Finally, there it was, right in front of him. A nice big jug of his heart's desire, fit to replace the unsavory water he'd been drinking instead. So when he turned the jug upside down and all that precious blood water spilled out on the ground, it must have been difficult. This sacrifice really cost David a pleasure he enjoyed but he gave it to the Lord anyway. You can be absolutely certain that as a Christian, God will call you to make some sacrifices. You can't just say, well, I'm sure glad I don't live in a place where there's persecution, or I've never really felt called to fast, or I don't think all Christians have to pray that much. You have been called to sacrifice yourself, to give, to pray, to fast, to minister, to devote yourself to his service. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. The flesh won't be too thrilled when you make your sacrifice. If you decide to fast, you'll be hungry, and you might feel grouchy or have a headache. If you give to missions when your budget is tight, there might not be enough left over to go to the movies one evening or to buy a new dress. If you volunteer to help with the kids' program at church, you might have to say no when a friend asks you to do something fun on the weekend. But did you pay attention to Romans 12, 1 and 2? Sacrificing self leads to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Catch that? It said His pleasing will. There are some pleasures in life that can only be experienced when other more mundane and worldly things are let go. 
Luke 9.23 says, And Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Hmm. Deny himself and take up his cross daily sounds a lot like sacrifice, doesn't it? Flesh needn't be deprived of every good thing forever, but it will have to take a back seat to the Spirit on a regular basis if you are truly going to be a disciple of Jesus. Think about it. The rewards are more than worth the price you'll have to pay. Let me explain. In Psalm 22:14, David wrote, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. David wrote this song as a prophecy of what Jesus would experience at his death. Remember that Jesus quoted the first line of this psalm from the cross when he said, Psalm 22.1 and Matthew 27.46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the same psalm that predicted that people would gamble for Jesus' clothes. Psalm 22.18 says, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Isn't it interesting that Jesus' greatest sacrifice is described as being poured out like water by the very man who poured out water before the Lord? The point is that we're called to follow Christ and no one made a greater sacrifice of self than Jesus Christ. However, wouldn't you say his investment was worth what it cost him? So number two was make the sacrifice. To review then, discern the sacred and make the sacrifice are two of the three key characteristics of holiness that are timeless examples to people everywhere who want to draw nearer to God. Now, number three, shun lust. 2 Samuel 5.17 says, Therefore he would not drink it. David could have thrown his head back, hoisted that jug of water, and chugged a lug, couldn't he? He could have let that precious blood water run down his face, drunk until he could hold no more, and then wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. But to do so in those circumstances would have been lustful. Lust is simply inordinate desire. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Many people think of sexual sins when they hear the word lust, but the term is actually much broader than that. Nearly any fun thing can become an object of lust if desire for it becomes more important than following God's commands. So making the holy choice means to say no to things that try to usurp God's place in our heart. Got the urge to go shopping and buy some things you don't need and can't afford? Make a holy decision not to do it and abstain. Feel like engaging in some sort of sexual sin? Is it pulling you so ever strongly to do what your conscience tells you that you should stay away from? Make a holy decision not to do it and abstain. 
Philippians 3, 17 through 20 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Want to eat or drink something that you know very well the Lord would have you leave off? Make a decision not to do it and abstain. Those three key characteristics of holiness, then, are number one, discern the sacred. Number two, make the sacrifice. And number three, shun lust. You have been called to be holy. A holy life necessarily means sacrifice. Discern the sacred, make the sacrifice, and say no to lust. Just do it. If this podcast has been a help to you, please pass it along.